in this 159th podcast entitled Spring is Here? The time has come. The time has come. We have questions, quite long questions, we have a few updates on things and we have a celebration of spring. And life in general. Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Your Beer Multisport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and all fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by no pin suppliers of club, custom and aerocycle clothing and triathlon apparel, all made in Devon, innovators of the speed pocket, of the speed belt and of various other technologies. Visit the website at nopins.com. Also supported by and sat in southfootracing.co.uk for all your biking needs with great brands such as Tax, Beat It, Powerbar, Garmin, Science and Sport, Infocrank, the, the Cyclops, Focus, Cannondale, KTM, Muckoff. It's all here. It's all here. Well, pretty much. Visit SouthforkRacing.co.uk. Music. Hello, listeners. I'm Coach Joe Beer, and I'm joined once again by the very popular Martin Confucius Crocker. Good. Of, oh. of, of South Fork Racing in South Fork Racing. Good evening. Courtesy of South Fork Racing. <laughs> <laughs> talk over every time. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon to everybody and to you, Joe. And to you. Yes. Today I am joined by... <laughs> I don't think we've seen one another for uh, a few days, have we? It's been a while. It's been, it's a, been while. a while. Uh, okay, so what has been, what's been going down in the district? In the district? Um, not a lot. I think just a lot of moaning about weather and when will winter ever leave us. And has winter now been here for 18 months? <laughs> so um, luckily we're seeing the... Uh, backside of it uh, going with a bit of luck. And well, I'm glad, with, I'm glad for your Easter. positivity. Yeah, I'm glad for your positivity. <laughs> um, yeah, this will be out just after Easter, but it'll still be uh, during most people's uh, Easter break if you get one. We hope you get one. Certainly, it's a, it's a pre season uh, look at things. So, what's been going on? Um, I have moved as an ambassador from Power Bar to Science in Sport. And some people might have spotted that, and a couple of people have asked me why and who and what and when. Um, it's just exciting new products and opportunities and time to move on. Simple as that. Sometimes brands and uh, opportunities change. This is it. Exactly. So, uh, let's go on to, straight away, our first question. Because we've actually got... A short question, then we've got some very detailed, long questions that are going to take take our full brain power. A bit of digging. A bit take of digging. A bit of digging. The great thing about recording this podcast is now half past eight. We are on 
Friday the 30th of March, is that it's still light outside. So we're still going to be compass mentis. Well, you would think. Because in the winter, you know, it's been dark for almost three hours. And uh, 6.30, yeah. Well, what it's did I say? Half past eight. <laughs> did I say half past eight? So we'll be compass mentis, <laughs> yeah. but it is half past six, not no, half past eight. Well, I saw 18.30, my brain went to half past eight instead of 16.30. So it's actually 6.30 and it's still light. Yeah. It's still if light. it was 8.30, yeah. I think we'd be struggling. but I'm confusing myself. <laughs> anyway, on to Neil. Uh, I'm going to say Poulton. Might be Poulton. Poulton, Poulton. And he was replying to a, a I think it was a tweet... And he said, maybe a question for the podcast. Just got set up with my Ithlete HRV. I'm going to explain that in a moment. How long would you say you have to be consistently using it before you can get the full picture, benefit and understanding? Thanks. So best do some definitions and some uh explanations explanations nice word so let's you go. have been reading haven't you because yeah. you sent me that text about i've been reading or, <laughs> or, or whatever it was so i fleet i fleet the spelling so, the spelling of the spelling is it does rattle me a bit but um because <laughs> it's like every time you put athlete you have to get the computer to stop changing it to i fleet oh, predictive yeah yeah, yeah. Boo predictive so it's athlete take the a off and add an i and it's measuring your heart rate variability, which we may have already gone over, but some people may be listening to this first time and therefore need a little bit of an explanation. So heart rate variability is looking at the differences between the beats of your heart. It doesn't always beat like a metronome. And if it, for example, is beating uh, 60 times a minute, it would be exactly every second. Or if it was beating 120 beats a minute, it'd be exactly every half a second. It varies. The test is done at rest and it's done in the morning. There might be a time, I think, when we might start looking at people doing multiple tests. But for the moment, the science and the majority of ways that people look at it, it's a morning test. A bit like blood glucose. You do it in the morning because things are a, you know, sort of a, a pre-food level. You're therefore getting um, steady uh data back from the blood the same with hrv in the morning overnight as long as you don't wake up with um you know uh, fire fire pants on fire type thing then actually you should get quite good data day to day sorry joe how would you measure it so okay. you are measuring it via well see i like the app yeah i like the iFleet system and they have their own uh, fingertip sensor which just pushes over the end of the finger it plugs into your phone the iFleet app is available for Android and iPhone and it just takes one minute of you lying there in bed first thing in the morning I don't think it's necessary that you can't move and you've got to do it the moment you wake up because people have sometimes tested it and they do get slight variations if they do it back to back to back but some of that, I think, is that then when they do one, they then think about the number two coming up and then they think about number three. And so they're sometimes affecting it like you do resting heart rate. If we were doing a heart rate now and you didn't realise it, you'd get one level. If we said, right, Martin, we're now going to measure heart rate, you'd try and play around with yeah, it and probably yeah. make it worse. So it's done in the morning. The iFleet app is accurate. It measures the units that most of the data looks at there are other systems that other people have sort of said oh i've got such and such and the numbers and how it measures it just doesn't seem to stack up so i think i found the iFleet app to be 
very consistent, very useful. Athletes tag me into their data so I can actually see their data when they get up and take it at, you know, half past five, six o'clock, half past seven, nine o'clock, whenever they take their data, I can see it straight away online, which is really useful. Don't take your heart right now just to see what it is. Um, you're going to tell me, aren't you? <laughs> I suppose you not wearing your Garmin, just in case you accidentally get a training effect. Yeah, you could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, shall I do mine as well? We can tell everybody online what a heart rate is and just keep telling them every so often. Um, so I like iFleet because it's, it's, very, um, it's very easy to connect athlete and coach. It gives you a very good piece of feedback on what it interprets the data to mean because it's not always whether normally the number going up means oh good things are getting better and the number going down things are getting worse there's interpretations within that change um i've seen very good examples i won't go into who what why when where but examples of people under quite a bit of stress or sudden you know problems with um pets or sudden stresses about things and it definitely catches it and they're like whoa that's amazing it's picked up straight away it often means i get more information out of the athlete because if it's going the if it's going the wrong way let's say i then go so what's going on here then because the training's under normal load but suddenly you are reporting you know a drop of 12 overnight and it starts to go amber or red then they say, oh, by the way, blah de blah de blah Which straight away means I know more about what's going on with them, but they then realise that the small factors can be picked up in HRV. Going back to Neil's idea of, well, how long do I have to do this to get baseline? Normally after a week it says, well, this is your baseline. But of course nobody's one week can be controlled such that that probably is their baseline. So it does learn over time. And I've seen it where people have started and they've been in a heck of a place to start. It's just been actually quite good because you may as well measure bad data or, or a bad scenario while it's around because as they come up out of it and you see it climb, you're like, well, there we go. That's what we imagined to happen. If we'd waited till you felt like it was good data, you know, when people do lots of tests, say, oh, I don't want to do it till it's good data. Well, what's the point in doing it if you're only waiting for good data? Mm. So I think at any time you start, it will learn over time where your variances are and it's giving you... If your self-coach is giving you a second opinion, if you're with a coach, it can give you a third opinion to juggle what's going on. You don't suddenly say, I can't go to work, can't do anything, can't train. It's suddenly gone down five. You just interpret it. And I had a classic today. I spoke to one of my clients and it's a really good one because he got up and he had um, 81, one of the highest he'd had. And it isn't such that you go, oh, I'm going to train well and you go and train well. He said, I just felt good. He got in the pool. He went faster in the pool than he has for two years and it all correlated to a really good trend that showed that there isn't a psychosomatic where if it goes down you say oh no i can't train and suddenly you're training worse because most people will get on with it anyway but when you get very high or very low data it does reflect in the person and somebody would like to override that but they never can. So, so with reference to the athlete and the HRV, what are we talking about? You know, as far as would you say a month is a good amount? Because you got to, you can have a couple of weeks to to compare against, or because well, Neil's no, no, asking. No, the, the same. You think about your last yeah. month. Has it been the same as the one before that? Is there an event that's coming up that's immediately meaning that there's 
um, I don't know, there's a, a, there's a long enduro or an Ironman or something, and you start upping the training now, well, there is going to be more stress from the training coming your way, but you might be in a better place than you were four months ago. So mentally, you're just waking up every morning in a better place. And I think it's as much, it captures everything. So whatever's going on, whenever it's going on, it starts to pin down are you in a good place? Are things happening that you've got to admit and go, yeah, you know what? I am under a heck of a lot of stress right now. What's the point in trying to make myself train like everything is fine and I can just, you know, you can't use training to get away from real world stuff. That is the worst kind of training to do. You can use it to give you time to think about it. You shouldn't ever use it to smash yourself to pieces because that'll get it out of my system. Because all that does is add a chemical stress to an already stressed athlete, which means your HRV will drop even more. And don't worry, people have tried that and they've worked out it doesn't work. Actually, HRV just says, holistically, how's this person? Not even how's this athlete, how is this person? So if you're in a good place, you're training quite well, most things are in place, you haven't got you know, massive worries, there's not this big, presentation there's not a massive um uh i don't know uh bill on a on a new bike that you can't really afford there isn't something going on in the background that's stressing you and every you <laughs> new know, bike that your wife's just found out or your partner has yeah, just found yeah, out yeah. yeah and there's a zero on it you've thought it was a thousand and it was one more zero than that um so i do think it, it doesn't matter when the week or the month is the more that I see data on people, the more that they're realizing that actually this thing is really sensitive to what's going on. But you don't, you don't wrap yourself in cotton wool if you start to go downwards, but you do acknowledge it. And often people are like, yeah, that was right anyway. And I wouldn't have, you know, I, I wouldn't have necessarily taken quite the heed and sometimes you deliberately are trying to get that person's HRV down. You're putting them into a bit of an overload. They're not exhausted. They're just on a big training load. They've got an adaption week coming up. And the great thing about adaption is if we don't see that number coming back up, then that person's not doing it right. So it's as much to do whatever you're trying to do with that HRV, you should be able to interpret it. And if somebody's training quite hard and they're doing quite long sessions and um, things are stacking up against them, it might drop. But nobody should see how low they could get it. I had a classic when somebody was doing their, there was a, a big amount of business in a particular week that they knew was coming their way and it dropped and dropped and dropped to such an extent, the number went red, their, their data on a matrix, it's a square matrix, and if you're right over on the left-hand side, it's not good. It's particularly not good when you're so far over on the left-hand side, the comment connected to your little dot can't even be seen properly. Yeah. Then you know the person's almost breaking the system and they're like, I thought that was what would happen, but at least I know that it's measuring the right things. And after that, it's come back up and back up and back up and is now something like, I'm going to say off the top of my head, you know, there's something like 35% higher than that number. And the person can see that that stress is gone. They feel better, but the HRV reflects it so they can, they can believe that... Um, well, I think there was a classic on Monday morning. Conversation with somebody... No, I'm all right. I don't think I was as ill as what I thought I was. And I say, but your HRV is not looking good. It's telling you you need to rest. No, 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 it'll be all right, it'll be all right. They went back to work. Within 20 minutes of that conversation, got a text back to say, you were right, I'm really full of cold now and I'm really starting to sort of, you know, realise that I should heed the HRV. Yeah. And I could sort of see it and all of the, you know, it's the comments in somebody's diary 
It's sometimes how they sound on the phone. It's sometimes how the training session's been going. If you're doing most things right, we hope everybody's going in the right direction. But anybody out there that thinks that's what it's all about, it's not. It's about when when the you-know-what hits the fan, you've got to work out how much do you duck and how much do you, you know, run behind the fan the other direction because you don't want to be hit by problems, but they will come your way. What can you do? Well, sometimes you can lessen the training. You can give your body two days off. If you watch HRV come back up and that person says, this is brilliant, it really helps me. Oh, this is great. I can see I'm getting better, but also the numbers reflect that. Then I just think it's it's like a conscience and it's a conscience to everything. It's holistic. It's not just what training do you do. I think it's more about the 22, 23 other hours in the day and what they're doing to you. Because more often than not, the training does very little because it's almost like training. They've got used to training and they're training smart. I would like to see how people that don't train properly use it because I'd like to see how much their HRV is really reflecting that they're not training properly. So with, with the reference to... Uh HRV. Um, so a high number is obviously good, or coming up yeah. to a high number is, yeah. is is better. So does that mean more rested, or um, might be more relaxed? Might be mentally, relaxed. might be mentally more relaxed. Might be you know just in the right place. There is some data to show that between about twenty and fifty years of age, your best HRV numbers will be. It might be more like 30 to 50. Your best HRV numbers won't be quite as good as actually somebody later on in life, over about 50, more like over 60, their HRV numbers start to come back up again. Now, this is only a reflection of the data so far, but I would say generally the older athletes that I've got, their peak HRV is not as high as some of the younger athletes. And I can't think, I think probably the youngest athlete I've got is... Um, currently probably actually he's not he's not on hrv the youngest athlete that's on it is probably still in their 30s and they can hit sort of 95 100 mm. the ones that are in their 50s and 60s they just about get to 80 sometimes so i think there is an age effect so it's individual so we can't all hit 100 some people's variability why i don't know i think we might find more about that but i think it's I think it's an individual number. So if you're, you know, your your training buddy's getting 95 when they're really well rested and everything feels great and they're training really well, your great point might be 80. And that's just it. Your heart varies less, but it's what happens, you know, does yours go from 80 and, and hit, you know, 45 sometimes and you get a red warning? I don't think it's the number. It's how the system interprets it and it's what you do to say, okay, can I make a difference to that? Right. If I get rid of some of the stresses, if I just, you know, throw in that project and say, it's just not going to happen, I'm under too much stress, forget it, I'll, I'll, you know, that, that, was, that was too much for me to do. I think it shows you you can manage stuff um, better if you, um, kind of if you look at the bigger picture, because then you may not, may not even change the training. Some people, we've got them just to relax more. Seriously, just take some time out. They're so full on, they take some time out their HRV's going up. It has nothing to do with their training. So with, with Neil, he's asking about how long do you think, do you, do you think just starting with it and getting some information, well, any information on that kind of thing, yeah. HRV is better than nothing. It's just another parameter to, yeah. to monitor and, and collect yeah, you've to got, help towards yeah. the bigger picture. I, I have most of my personal athletes i've got some other people that aren't personal athletes that use hrv but more and more i'm nudging people to say look get on the 
pro version because then I can see your numbers and I can help you interpret that. Because basically, um, they get a few more features, but they get the ability to uh, tag me into the data. So I see the data, and that means that you know, very early in the morning, I can see when something isn't right. Uh, it also means, I think, you know, training diaries have accountability to them. And that's what makes coaching work. People are accountable to you. And they say, oh, you're on my shoulder. You were telling me not to go too hard and it was a perfect session. Thank you. You weren't there, but you did something to, to, um, to manipulate it. Um, HRV is a bit like that because people realize I can see the numbers and they're only kidding themselves. If they say, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I can, I can push through this. The ones that get it go, no, I'm not fine. I know I'm not. And this is further evidence that I'm not. What I've got to be the, you know, the uh, the uh, no pain, no gain, smash through it. They realise that there's smarter ways to do it, and I think this adds a level of smartness that is very, very clever. I mean, we've had resting heart rate before, and that's been, uh, you know, a very bad guess at the very best because of how individually that varies. But HRV and how precise it picks up stress in the body is superb. And I think, you know, his exact uh, question said, you know, how long would you have to say to have it uh, before you can get the full picture benefit and understand it? Well, it's like power, it's like heart rate. It's, it's immediately obvious what it can tell you you're doing right or wrong. But it'll be different set of equations in three months' time. But by then you start to realise this damn number is very good at, at second-guessing me much better than I ever second-guessed myself. And it's very good at picking up on stress, big training load followed by adaptation. I think there's one thing as you get near to your bigger events, you stop taking it or you take it and you don't look at it. Um, if you're unwell, if you're clearly unable to race then you should already have realized that what you don't want is to be overthinking stuff as you taper into an event you don't want to start looking at a number and i've done it with people and retrospectively we look back at the data and when they get it right it's been going up but they're not aware of it they just take it they don't look at it and that data just gets stored without them doing it uh, sorry without them looking at it because you can overthink it like heart rate you start taking heart rate, you start looking at it, you overthink it, you can't do anything more about it, you start affecting your breathing and it will go back up. And it's the same with HRV as you approach an event. Don't start, you know, you've got the race details, you've got, you know, all the, 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 the registration or the travel to the event, the, the last minute details. You've got all that to take on board and you're trying to think, what does HRV tell me? Well, you should be getting a little bit uh, excited slash under stress because you're getting ready for an event so there is a, a sense that you're um you are slightly excited but a little bit apprehensive at the same time that can be very likely to change the hrv if you start worrying about that you've discovered yourself it's the person that overthinks it so i think get the data but most of the time i think by then you should know what you're doing as you taper to an event but day-to-day -day training and sorting out yeah everything from the stresses and strains to actually sometimes saying yeah things are really good right now i'm hrv i've never had it this high before well it is showing there for what we know so keep i mean question. keep keep at it neil and over time it will just tell you something's right something's wrong it's interpreting what is it is it the night before the sleep was broken by you know the neighbor's dog or are you worrying about something but you know what in a week it'll all be sorted and then suddenly 
you know, the pressure on your shoulders disappears, you start feeling more relaxed and your training starts going well. I think it is a very good way to look inside to the person and say, what is actually going on? And are you trying to brush things under the carpet? Are you very aware of stuff? Do you know you're under stress? And often people say, look, this is coming up and they know the HRV is dropping. They're quite aware of it. It's part of what they expect, but it's how we then can bring it back up. Oh yeah, the stress is gone. I'm back into steady training. I didn't smash it to bits just because I was under stress. I kept it steady. Up it goes, bingo. That person then is confident that they've done the right thing. Because, you know, illness, big stress, uh, massive travel, had people coming, you know, from different directions all over the globe. And I think it's a really clever way to give athletes who have been coached or been self-coached an insight into something that's so easy to go, no, 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 I feel fine, I can just train through this. And actually they can't. And if that number is red or even amber, they need to be very aware that that isn't the time where a smart athlete says, no, this is when, you know, this is when the, the people just push through it. No, they don't. They're very aware. Okay, a couple of days, I'll be fine, but I can't push through when my body is telling me from the heart, a very key part of your body is telling you, you're not quite right at the moment. Any kind of data, I guess, is is worth its weight in gold, regardless of how much or how little you've taken. But yeah, it's, it's a good piece of kit. I've used it for um for a little bit actually now, and uh, can see the benefits out of it definitely. Yeah, did you explained it? <laughs> do you um do you want to reveal what your highest number is yet? Oh, it's going to do on live live data. Here we go. I'll have a I'll have a look. You'll have a look on his on his app. So my okay. Other people that listen don't feel inferior if Martin's numbers are just um, superhuman. He's just he's just like that. Eighty nine is my eighty nine. Yeah, he's a younger chap, so he tends to get eighty nine. And would you say at that point in time? So we're putting you on the spot now. Come on. Would it have reflected how you felt? Is it generally capturing what you think? Because you're not a, you're not generally a stressed person. No. You you can't be without some stresses and strains because we all have things that sometimes. You know, but you're not somebody that dwells on it. You're not a stressful person. No, no. Um, um, you don't give a monkey's most of the time, to be no, very no, fair. No, it's not. It, it's, so I suppose, yes, it was a relatively, you know, the training, training wasn't ultra high Yeah. with that. Yeah. As in, you know, I wasn't doing a lot of training, but, you know, kind of fatigue was good because you get certain ways of measuring how you feel as well. So, yeah. you know, the questions are asked are like fatigued, from always tired to very fresh, irritable as in mood, uh, muscle soreness, um, sleep quality, stress levels, diet, training load. So, you know, the training load was five, so you know, out of ten. Mm. So it was it was mid. Diet was okay. The stress level was uh, relaxed. Sleep quality was okay. Um, muscle soreness was okay. The mood mm. was positive, and fatigue was okay. So. Mm. Hence the, the high reading. And because uh, you have a little un, a little uh, lad, does does that ever pick up that you've had a really bad night's sleep? Yeah, well, funny enough, I'm looking at the lowest number I got, which is 71. Yeah. Um, which goes to amber. Um, and that goes from fatigue being okay to mood being okay. Muscle soreness being okay. Sleep quality was less than okay was stress level okay diet was was poor yeah as in not very poor but poor but there was no training load that week at all yeah 
Oh, or that day, sorry. Or that day, yeah. That particular Because it does pick up those things. Often people, you know, you, you have to self-rate, but it does pick up those things. And you've got a difference there, what, from lowest to high of about 18? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've got that bandwidth that at the moment is, should go up from this point, maybe at maximum uh, fitness. And, and maybe you have a really, you know, crummy, you know, couple of nights and then you suddenly get a completely different number. But it's how you interpret that. And yeah. I and I do think that most well no I, I've got I've yet to get a situation where somebody says no that's complete rubbish that's nothing like what I feel it's got it all wrong I mean people like to say oh I don't I don't think it's quite that number and the scenario I talked about earlier you know within twenty minutes at the end of the conversation there's a text saying oh actually I'm really full of cold now so it was picking up something I think it picks up stuff before you know or that you're not quite wanting to acknowledge. But I think when you are at a slightly weaker point, you can be strong if you acknowledge that. You'll be doubly weak if you just go out and say, I am, um, I'm a bit ill, but no, I still got that four hour ride done because you will go backwards far more than you go forwards. Your perception of effort is gonna be worse and there's a good chance you could make that illness worse. Yeah. So I think it's obviously picked up some things for you. It's a good little tool. Good, 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 good. Right, let's go on to Dave Barry, who does triathlon, sprint, 70.3 Olympic type distances, mountain bike, uh, marathon races, um, and social running races. Is that the ones where people just chat all the way around? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you, absolutely. <laughs> so, hi Joe and the Crockstar. Do you know this person? Do you know this person? I, I might do. You might do, might yeah. Do. Sounds like they, they've been told to write this. Uh, <laughs> great podcast, guys. I've learned more about endurance training in the past three months than I have the past three years. Your podcast has kept me entertained, enlightened and sane on many a boring turbo session and commute to work. Wow. We'll take that. Um, I'm a relative newbie to triathlon. Uh, uh, with three seasons under my belt, having started with sprints and moving up as far as half Ironman distance. I'm enjoying the training, not taking it too serious, and I'm really interested in the methodology and logic behind the training too, as it helps to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Because of this, I have a couple of... Uh, because of this, I have a couple, actually more than a couple, of questions, and I am hoping that you gentlemen can help me out with them. And I think we'll do them, we'll answer them as we go, because there's no way we're going to go back through that list and be able to remember the beginning. So we're going to do them as we go. So, uh, he says, I'm also working my way back through the podcast. So forgive me if you've already answered some of these questions. So first one is, how do I best decide on weekly distances or duration that I should train at? I've heard 150% of race discipline distance rule. I can handle this for Olympic distance, but struggle for 70.3 distance to reach the run and race distance in a single session. Okay, so we'll take that first one. I think, you know, that's one of those pulled out of thin air numbers. And sometimes it depends on, you know, the person's preference. Some people, you know, if they're doing a 56 mile bike ride, they'll happily do some 70, 75 milers because that gives them extra time. Though they're not intimidated by 56 mile biking. If you're doing a 1.9 kilometer swim, then obviously, yeah, if you're swimming there for uh, a straight distance, you know, 26, 27, 2800 meters, again, that's not daunting. I think with a lot of people, particularly if they're not born and bred runners, the idea of going from 
um, the 13 mile race distance and talking about something up around 19 miles is there's kind of a lot of people that would just about get to that distance doing Ironman. So for half Ironman, it may be that, you know, you definitely hit race distance on the run, but the run is the one that has the greatest detrimental effect on the other two. It also has the greatest injury possibilities. So I think you've got to be really careful that you broad brushstroke 150% as the target distance for your longest sessions, particularly when you talk about weekly distance, because I will very often build people up and within a four weekly cycle, they will only do the longest distance, particularly in the run, maybe just the once, they'll build to that point, but they won't do every week trying to get, you know, in your instance, trying to think, oh, I've got to run 19 miles every week as a long run. Most people's body will break down before they do that. So I think you have to be able to maybe look at the chances of injury and think, how much can I get away with with the run? Yes, if you can definitely do 13 miles and you don't race 13 miles, it's a time on your feet type run. If you do that, that's going to give you adequate distance for the race. I think also to, to work into your weekly work schedule, you yeah. know, there, there might be other factors as well. So maybe doing those longer runs and rides are a bit inconvenient or you, you won't you can't fit them in mm. yet you can do your long swim and mm. then the following week you think well oh, i've got two days off that week so i can do my longer yeah. run my yeah. longer yeah. ride or you split it some yeah. people will do that you know they'll do their longest run and if it if you were thinking oh i need to get 150 percent in a day okay so you're effectively you know doing two sort of nine you know two nine mile runs in a day to get 18 miles which is certainly taking you well over the 13 mile distance um two nine milers some people might say you know what, i'm going to do a longer run in the morning and then i'll do a second run not flat out but quick ish on a treadmill um still probably at top of zone one if they're getting near to the race and they're a very uh, high level competitor they might start pushing that second run and going right up to race tempo and a bit harder um, they'd never race a half marathon to check they can race a half marathon. I think that's a bit of a mistake because unless you're robust, that racing a half marathon could actually take you backwards, not forwards. So I think it's a case of um, perhaps doing enough for the distances that you feel confident with yeah. as opposed to definitely, oh, I've got 150%. Off the top of my head for a half Ironman, I'd say, yeah, you've definitely got to do you know 3K sessions. You've got to be able to um, get in a pool ideally open water and as you get into the yeah, April definitely the May period whenever your half Ironman is do the race distance just to see well how long is it going to take me what does it feel like continuously swimming uh, outdoors over 1900 meters um, do potentially a 50 mile time trial to feel about the pacing of of, um, of sort of being on a, a tri bike for 50-ish miles but don't always think got to get long, got to get long. Most people cannot take long sessions in every sport every week, particularly three years in, you probably um, need to just do enough. Like you were saying, Crocker, you just, you kind of do enough to think, what have I not done long recent? Oh, I haven't done, I haven't done a run. Okay. Well, don't suddenly go from, I've not, I've not done more than four miles or oh, better go and do it at 19. That's probably not going to end too well. <laughs> but if four miles, 
and six miles and a nine miler one week is what you've done. Okay, perhaps the following week you say, well, I, I, I'll go for nine up to 13. I had four miles on, but I'm going to do uh, race type fueling. It's just time on my feet, but I'm not going to race it. Yeah, yeah it, is, it, must, it is difficult. And, and let's just say 95% of us that compete work. I think that's a fair enough figure. So you, you, know, you kind of have to work that between you know your busiest weeks yeah you know everybody has a busy time everybody is busy but there's kind of uh, you know a slightly quieter time with your business your you know your work so having those big weeks nearer to your event like you said you know mm. trying to go out and after you've only done four miles running and try and yeah. whack in a 19 miler is yeah is just asking for trouble especially if you've had a big week in the pool and a big week on mm. the bike so so which sort of blends into the next bit which is how much should i increase my distance or duration from one week to the next five to ten percent well depends on what it is you know if you're competent on the bike and you've done a 50 mile over the following week you could do 70 miles you could bump it up 20 miles which is 40 percent but your body as long as it's uh fed and watered will be fine if you're not used to running and you suddenly bump mileage up in one long run or in your total week 40 percent it could be too much of a gamble so i think Again, I think it's individual. You know, if you go up only 5% week on week, you're going to take an awful long time to start getting some of the longest sessions done. The swim, you can, you know, lots of people easily swim 2K sessions. So they're actually doing the distance of a half Ironman straight away. Okay, it's not continuous. That includes warm-up, that includes drills, but it's still 2K. But running, not many people are constantly running every week. Oh yeah, I always run 30 miles every week. Most people wouldn't. So they may have to build up a bit more aggressively they might start at six and go you know six eight ten twelve and then one long run of, of 14 15 but it's only gone up two miles but two miles is the percentage of six has gone up a third whereas two miles of eight miles has only gone up 25 percent so it's it's kind of you can't you've always got to see what can your body take but it's not i mean five percent is such an abysmal increase what you don't do is try and push every event i say every discipline up as much as you can each week on top of that thing i'll also add some interval work we um interval work in this week as well and therefore be having intensity duration and possibly total frequency of sessions all ramp up exponentially you have to do this bit by bit so if you are going to bump up your run by you know four miles from a 10 miler to a 14 miler just make the bike the same as it was a week before a steady 45 I don't think many people can take all of these things happening at the same time. It doesn't seem to work. And if you overload, okay, you've overloaded that week, but you can't do that the following week because you feel, and this is where HRV comes in, you feel that that person's body's already had enough. The following week, they're gonna have to back off the run, possibly swim a bit more, and make sure the bike rides are kept before they recover. You might recover in four days, but trying to fit in long sessions sometimes means people have got less than three days at a time before they're doing another long session. So five to 10% is probably a bit too small an increase, maybe go up a bit higher. Um, if the training heart rate is maximum 80% uh, of, of, uh, of the max, what should my racing, what should be my racing heart rate? Well, that depends. I mean, here's a, here's a difficult question because Yes, you build a lot of base in zone one. Racing ultimately does go a bit into zone two. Um, it can go quite a lot into zone two at the start of the swim due to anxiety, people going a bit quicker, trying to get off the line, and then they settle in. 
And in transitions, it can spike up. It can go up to zone, you know, upper zone two or three, just because of the stress of doing that. On the bike, it should settle back down and be, you know, if you can still stay in zone one, you're saving your body. But on the run, in theory, if it's hot and you're pushing your body, you can take that heart rate up. And so it gradually rises through the event. But what it's gonna be, uh, I don't know, I really can't say. I think what it's got to be is showing a classic, are you saving energy on the uh, swim? Because you don't really wanna waste as much energy as possible swimming 1.9K and actually end up swimming 2.2 and with a lot of froth and a lot of effort. On the bike, are you settling in, letting your body relax, getting fuel on board, trying to be, you know, you may not have power, but you're trying to race to a controlled power over the 56 miles. To get off, to have your best run, not to get off and just drag yourself through the run, because that's, that's really not helpful. It's certainly not going to be a great day if you go, well, got off the bike and I just dragged my sorry backside through the run and it was really miserable. So heart rate, learn every race about what heart rate you should have been at. You can't obsess about it because in the swim you can't see it so it's a bit you can't start lifting your recovery arm up looking at your heart rate and then putting your hand in front of you on the bike you can go harder than what i you know people have said oh i've gone harder than what you suggest i'm like yeah i know and what was the run oh it wasn't too good there we go so the bike has got to be super controlled and the run if you want to crack triathlon you've got to be able to build through any run distance whether it's 5k whether it's 42k where you build through the distance and you are gradually you know, for want of a better phrase, screwing yourself into the ground. That's what triathlon running's about, is gradually putting yourself under duress. And if somebody can't do that, okay, that's fine. You can still have a, a tough race, but don't treat it like you've smashed it on the bike and you just jog through the run. And then you say, oh, my heart rates aren't what people say they are. So I think um, what we have to say um, with that, Dave, is that the heart rates are, are sort of subject to what you find out and that you um, you learn over time. Would you say that's fairly... Yeah, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you're... It, every every race is different, you know, so the you know the weather can be different, your um, setup can be slightly different, you know, your training schedule before that could be slightly different. So I think if you benchmark sometimes a heart rate, then think you you chase that heart rate nine times out of ten mm, don't you You yeah. either chase it or you hold back and i think sometimes you kind of like with power power is is, is a decent reflective uh, number mm. on you know what you can hold mm. and you know on the day generally sometimes, what you can generally hold. what yeah. you can hold um and like you said you know if you go oh i'm feeling good today I go over that number you normally find nine times out of ten that mm. that your run comes off at the end pretty much it, it starts yeah. to tail off so i wouldn't be like you said, I wouldn't be obsessive about that that number. Um, sometimes it's even better just to race blind, pretty mm. much. And, but if you can feel it, you, that's what you should do. Yeah. You, are, you are controlling the bike. The bike isn't a race. And it's people that have never done time trials or have no idea as to what their power should be or they're very good at ignoring data that tells them they go too hard on the bike. And they'll always blame something for the run. But, you know, the, the bike is a relative cruise, because if you're working on aerodynamics, low rolling resistance, the bike is set up well, you're not trying to go as hard as possible, you're not puffing and panting and grinding, you are actually under control, because it's not a time chart, and there's a, in this instance, if it's a 70.3, there's a half marathon to run, and that's the best part of 1500 calories, there's nothing to help you, but you know, you lift your body weight forwards, so 
You never want to start that in, in a bad state. And if somebody's a weaker runner, it's even more important that they don't smash themselves, like you were saying, by chasing a heart rate. Mm. This, this next part, I think, is really interesting. He says, during my last 70.3, I had stomach problems after making a mistake with my nutrition. Now, we don't know what this is, but he made a mistake. I'm spending more time focusing on my nutrition this year. And I have the following question. How should I approach my training nutrition during my zone one training? Considering I'm planning on taking 60 grams per hour during the race. Well, you know, you practice at least being able to take 60 grams per hour so that you work out what things work. Do you prefer solids with occasional bit of you know, liquid and not no gels? Do you like gels and just water? Uh, do you, you know, do you like real foods? Some people do, they may not be the best scenario, but if they, if they figure that well in your brain and you like that, then that's the best thing for you. But going for 60 grams an hour in training isn't going to be uh, something that doesn't relate to racing. Certainly 60 grams is, you know, it's, it's ballpark for, um, for what you're trying to uh, achieve. You know, most people can absorb something like that. Um, you can push it a bit and just say, okay, I'm going to try training on 80 grams an hour. If you get 80 grams an hour down and um, you uh, find that, you know what? That's a possibility. I can get 80 grams down. And if I feel I need more energy and 60 just isn't hitting the mark, I've tested 80. You've perhaps tested the nutrition that has been uh, announced for the race. And therefore, um, you know what it is you should be uh, working with. Which interestingly, this week, Enovit announced, did you see Enovit announced they were going to be the Ironman um, Europe uh, sponsors for events. Oh, right, okay. That's only a few months ahead of some people's events that they've been training on completely different brands. And that means they've got to either get used to it or say, I know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with with this gel and with this, you know, this powder, whatever. You need to know what you're going to take in and when. And if the nutrition sponsor changes or it's not the flavours you like, you've still got to have your target in this instance, like 60 grams. And if it works in training and you even experiment in training, pushing it up, some people say, actually, I could do 80 grams an hour, but nine, no, that's probably a bit strong, nine. I reckon seven times out of 10, people don't know what they've just taken in a session. You say, how many grams to do for an hour? Um, oh, I don't really know. It's like, what? So you went out the front door for a three hour session and you had no clue what was in your bottles, whether you had extra, gels bars or anything and i think people need to start being very good at calculating okay those bars have got 40 grams that gels 20. if i mix my bottles up to this point right that's 100 grams per bottle right i've got a you know a 12 percent solution so that's going to cover me almost two hours i think you should become more savvy and by the signs of it dave has has gone down that route but you can't ignore it and you need to quantify what those carbohydrates are. Because the person that goes out with a bit of water and maybe one gel and they're doing three hours is like, you're kidding me, aren't you? That is, that's how you prepare for races. But it's, we, we've, we've chatted about this at length about- Have we? How, how, how can you not, how can it not be something that you would practice? How would yeah. it, you know, 
and everything from feeding on the bike or feeding on the run or feeding into transition. Um, I'm not doing the V's. All right. There's two reasons, I reckon. Go on. Calorie consciousness. Yeah. Well, the reasons why you don't do it. Why you don't do it. Yeah. People are calorie conscious, and the moment you say, oh, 60 grams an hour, <gasps> that's three hours. That's 180 grams of carbohydrate. <gasps> that's X. It's like, well, no, in that instance, you're doing 60 grams an hour to see whether you can cope for it for three hours. And therefore, to see how well you absorb maybe the gels that are available on race day or your own particular concoction. And therefore, at least you've practiced it. Some sessions, I mean, we do some sessions where we, um, we um, uh, practice on zero and just go out on electrolyte. We've had protein before. And we don't go, oh, you're having 60 grams an hour. No, I'm just doing a protein-only session. But some people never go as far as race yeah. nutrition, which means they never are in races doing what they've already practiced. And the second one is... I'll say it, some people are cheapskates. They think they can get by without doing it. It's like, look, you've got X thousand pound bike. You've just entered an yeah, event. This is, this you've is just, the other You've thing. just entered an event yeah. that probably costs you over 200 pounds just to enter. And in training... You're going to wing it. Yeah, in training, yeah. you just think, oh, I'm going to do it on water because oh, I don't really believe in carbohydrate drinks. It's like, it's not a religion. It's a fact. You don't buy a car and say, I don't really think I'm going to put any fuel in or plug it in to charge it up because it's an electric car. You have to see that as part of being a responsible car driver. The same as with triathlon, long distance uh, sportives, even the long, long distance time trials. You've got to be able to say, I've got to invest in my nutrition. And I would say to people, use powders mostly because they're the most economical. They're the easiest ways to dial in the percentages. Uh, they're easy to stick in a freezer bag and put in your back pocket if you're doing long rides and you can just tip it into your bottles, get water from anywhere, and then you go again. But to think that, you know, people are still saying, oh, and I've had this and I've said to people and they want to get better, and you say to them, well, how much did you take in on three hours? And they go, and, uh, oh, it's about a gel. And I had, um, oh, and I had a, had a bit of cake at the stop. And you think, well, what, however you see that, a gel is 20, 25, and the cake is whatever, and it's a bit late by then. And you think, that isn't how to prepare. It's not who can eat the least calories that gets through. These fasted sessions, we're still taking in, um, we're still taking in um, protein. We're still making sure that afterwards we eat. We're still um, making the, uh, the specifics to that session. And what's now been talked about is this idea of the sort of um, optimizing glycogen. Some sessions go into it, have those muscles well rested, don't use them for a couple of days, feel really stocked up and train like you just feel brilliant, but you still have to take in fuel. Other days, deliberately, I get people to do a morning session, go low carb for the day, do a second session, and then they teach their body how to utilize lower carbs. But you can't always say, well, I don't really ever want to do higher carb intake on events. I don't want to try what it's like doing a longer run and taking in a gel every 30 minutes. It's part of your preparation. And these, these events are giving out gels and energy drinks. And what, you're going to ride back and go, oh, no, no, I don't really want that. I don't really want that. Well, you certainly are getting value for money if you want to be out there for as long as possible. But this is, this is our discussion, wouldn't it? Is, is why it wouldn't be a, ma a major part of your yeah. prep. You know, you're prepared to do, and, and especially you guys that do uh, triathlon, um, you know, you've got three disciplines. Mm. So, you know, at least with two of them, taking a gel on the swim is pretty tough. 
People do though. Long, long, they do. No, the yeah. long, the long swimmers. The swimmers are out there for quite a while. They'll stick it normally, you know, up their leg, and they will stop at a certain point and just get it out and put it in. And they're like, "Yeah, uh, the Ironman swim is going to take me an hour thirty-five. Well, if you're doing anything for an hour thirty-five, you you probably want something halfway through at the at the least. But we we always chat about this, and we say, you know, I can't understand why it's so overlooked. It's it's a fundamental part of it. And when people turn around and go, well. I don't, I'm not really taking it that seriously. But yeah, but you want to finish, don't you? You want to, mm-hmm. you kind of, everybody's aim is to finish regardless of time. But why wouldn't you go through and just try that? Even if you are tight, if you're tight for cash, you know, surely you'd be able to afford a race run version of it and go, like Dave has done really, pretty much go, well, I'm going to go 60 with 60 grams. grams yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe I'm going to try 80. And if I can handle that for the mm. hour, then mm. I know that three, four, five, six, hours on you know hopefully i'll be all right with it you know and i understand everybody has a has a budget but i still think it's a big big part of mm. of your whole training kind of mm. uh, pie as it mm. would be when you put it all together that it should be a, a segment of that yeah because you don't go out to yeah. it you don't go out, oh i'm going at 45 minute run oh right right you must take 60 grams an hour no you can do that and there is the there's the thought that some sessions you deliberately want to not be taken in fuel and not be taken in water and just teach your body because it can do it. It can mobilize water from the glycogen you're using. You start it hydrated so you can get by and sometimes learning that you don't have to, you know, the worst is when you see people jogging along and they keep sipping from a water bottle every like five minutes. It's like that isn't the way to feed the body. And that's more of a nervous reaction to thinking I must drink, I must drink. It's like, well, water's pretty pathetic if that's what you think you need to drink. You're much better to take nothing or do proper fueling and when we do these fasted sessions we do proper fueling still taking protein before protein join and protein after so we're not trying to deny it and actually we're still spending on that particular session and there are different sessions some need to be high carb some need to be what i call taper carbed where you start off and you go say three hours but you go 60 70 then 80 grams so you actually increase it through the hours and then what happens also is your body's getting more reliant on carbs as you go through each subsequent hour. So it's actually quite good. Not necessarily at race pace, but you know, a pretty quick upper zone one session. You're better to see what you like in the third hour on 80 grams. Now it'd be a lot less for female athletes. They might be doing, you know, 40, 50, maybe 65, 70, but it's still the same principle. You can't get by without it. And Dave, you know, you've you've found a, a problem, you're starting to do it, so just keep experimenting. I mean, don't do wacky stuff, but just, you know, oh yeah, it's really good. I do a, you know, go back to this scenario of a long run. Yeah, I did a 13 mile run. Every 30 minutes I took a gel or I ran around in the big circle and, you know, every uh, 30 minutes of the loops that I did for my, for my house, I took a gel when I got back and went back out for another 30 minutes. So keep experimenting. It'd be nice to know what he did as his, uh, as his race error though. Yeah. Just to wonder whether it's possible that that could just be down to a bit of practice. Okay, on the 80-20 split, does the 20% high intensity include all the time that my heart rate is above zone one limit? So should I consider the interval time plus the time that it takes to get my heart rate back to zone one numbers? Am I overanalyzing it? I mean, you are a little bit, because it does take a while to drop back down. And generally within a lot of the uh, sports science and a lot of the sort of elite data, when they do say, four by eight minutes they'll just say right that's eight minutes of quality and they'll look at the quality time and say you know is that in zone one sorry zone two zone three 
but they won't overanalyze the bits that it takes to drop down. Yes, it will take a bit of a while to drop down, but also it takes a while for the heart rate to go up. So those two can almost cancel one another out because what you don't do is start the interval at the point that your heart rate hits the desired level because it takes a while even at um and you've been doing some by the looks of your thing and i've been doing some recently it takes a while even at a fairly good lit to get your heart rate back up but it doesn't take a while to get your heart rate back up if people are scrimping on recoveries and proper uh interval regimes will have a pretty decent recovery and so the heart rate's back down to somewhere in zone one. By the time you start, let's say you start a 280-watt interval, it will take often, I'm going to say, 30, 40 seconds for the heart rate to then cross back over into zone two, right? At the other end of the interval, when you stop, it will still probably, I mean, it shouldn't take more than 40, 50 seconds for it to drop off of zone three, um, back down to zone one. So I think you might be overanalyzing it, but it is, you can say from a, you know, from a statistical point of view, it is everything that's outside of zone one. So it's little creepages when people do, oh yeah, it was kind of in zone one. What kind of in zone one or in zone two? Yeah, a bit in zone two, right, count the zone two. And I'm pedantic with people doing this because they can kid themselves it was a zone one run, which immediately, and follow the logic with this. If it's not a zone one run and they're going into zone two, then that run speed, we'll take run for example, that run speed actually represents partly their competition ability because you're starting to go into zone two, okay? If it's pure zone one and it might even be lower zone one, then there's no way that they're saying I'm running at, at race pace, certainly not 70.3 race pace. Now, if you don't acknowledge going into zone two, firstly, you're not accepting that you did some hard work, which you did, so take credit for doing it. If you can't quite go slow enough to get into zone one, well, then you're never gonna solve the problem. The whole point is the more you do zone one, the more you solve staying in zone one the next time around. But if you consider everything out of zone one, still most people that are training properly don't even get 20%. It's only the ones that are still, I think, trying to get their head around slowing down enough. When you slow down enough, eventually to get out of zone one takes a heck of a lot of work. The people now going, blimey, I can do so much work and not get out of zone one. Bingo, that's because I've been on to you for the past six months saying slow down, slow down. And they might do, you know, 10, 15% of their week, sometimes due to hills, due to wind, due to, you know, taking a carrot and chasing somebody. But the ones that don't get it, then don't get it. And now we've got to the season, what happens is the zone one stuff isn't that much slower than their fast work because they've never really done slow zone one. Make sense? Yes. So yeah, Dave, yeah. every bit in zone two and three, count it as it's zone countable. two and three. Um, are there any benefits of training to max heart rate versus heart rate reserve? Well, don't, don't use heart rate reserve and I'll quantify what that means. Heart rate reserve is taking maximum subtracting your minimum resting level and that is called your reserve that's how much it can go from its lowest point up to its highest point you then take a percentage of that let's say 80 percent and then add back on the resting but nobody uses that for training it's such an outdated such a 
such a faff and such not what you need to do. You use maximum heart rate or simply, certainly with biking and running, you know, you use the, the nose breathing as a reference point to say, oh, I think my zone one's at this point. If you go and get lab data, then it's the two millimole point if you take uh, lactate, it's the two millimole point is the top of zone one. If somebody will happily give you a max test, then you take that number and you go back down and 80% of that is the top of zone one. But heart rate reserve, just don't even go there. It's, it's, it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't work and nobody's using it because it doesn't work. Is there a minimum length of a zone one session in order for it to be effective? I've heard that it should be at least 1.5 hours long in order to get the endurance benefit. Well, no, there is, there is no, whoever said that, that no, there are plenty of people that they haven't got one and a half hours and therefore they still do 45 minute technical swim, uh, 50 minute steady state morning run, um, a, you know, turbo trainer session, something like that. So I think it's quite, it's, <laughs> It can put other people in a bit of a pickle if you say, oh, the minimum you do is, is an hour and a half. There's certainly a benefit to doing an hour and a half session, but there's a benefit to doing a three-hour session. There's also a benefit if you've got a short amount of time jumping on your, your rollers or getting to the pool and doing 30-minute skill work. There doesn't have to be a quantity of time. Okay, the professional athletes, um, and we'll take this elite uh, cross-country skier, and yes, 60% of her sessions in zone one were over 90 minutes. But therefore, 40% of her training sessions in zone one as a professional athlete were not over 90 minutes. So what, she's 40% of the time training wrong? No, you just can't do every training session. And that's in a low impact sport. So it's not like running where lots of times they'll keep some of the runs shorter because you can't just go out the door and run 90 minutes every day. So that also that rule does not apply to running because, you know, 45 minutes, half of that 90 minute point is often considered 45 minutes time on your feet is a long time for lots of people to be on their feet. That's that's the point at which I start thinking over 45 minutes, I'm going to start calling it a longer run. It's not your long run, but it's a long time to just go out the door and run for 45 minutes. So watch that, you know, that sort of one and a half. I know he says one to one and a half hours. Um, no, it should be at least whatever you've got available. Yeah. <laughs> I and would you would you say if you were going to no, do what would you, what would what you, say? Would you no, say no what would you say first come on I any training is good is, <laughs> yeah any training is good because again we, we go back to time everybody is everybody's getting to a point where we we are time poor aren't Ooh. we really <laughs> you poor so, man <laughs> yeah we, you know we haven't got a lot of spare time so and we all love our training and things like that so you know if you can get a decent training in then you do your bulk of your training mm, around that mm, time mm, that you have allocated mm. and you know if it is half an hour 45 minutes an hour uh, which would lead on to my question to you would be if you had an a hour, question of a sub question i know we're wandering down an avenue here joe um would it be better to do a hey quality... we might find tires or chains at the end of this avenue <laughs> yeah might well do um if we get if you have an hour to do a quality session yeah you know it's almost, do you do quality sessions so it's two and a half hours? I suppose it depends on what training you're doing. But what I mean from that is, you know, do you find with a lot of your clients that when they want to do their quality training, so their harder efforts mm. that they do do, you know, 20%, the 80-20 rule, um, do they do it in a short amount of time? Do they spread it over a longer amount no, of time? No, because I think so with quality, if you take 
a decent amount of quality work and you think well, you've got to warm up for it which for anybody really there's you're not really effective before 15 20 minutes worth of um time spent taking core temperature muscle temperature uh enzymes even your mind into the right place and then you might do your you know three by eight you might do you know four by four with long recoveries you might do you know three by 15 there are there are certainly plenty of blocks of time that you could then cool back down but then you need to give your body time to cool back down and sometimes from indoor sessions you take so long at the end but you don't want to finish and be absolutely still pouring with sweat that means your body's still trying to get rid of heat so you have to you know again reduce the intensity well if you do that at the end of the session, I've looked down sometimes on the turbo thinking, blimey, I'm doing 100 beats, but I'm still creating more heat. And this is zone one. So this is fine. And oh, yeah, that's enough watts because I'm not I'm not sat here basically pedaling with no chain. But it's as long as it takes. But it's normally over an hour. But if you've only got 45 minutes, the worst thing to think is, all right, warm up 15 minutes, smash 15 minutes, warm down 15 minutes. Yeah, but that's not really, that's, that's trying to cram something in that might need longer. If you've got 45 minutes, choose what works for that 45 Five minutes. minutes. And there's yeah. definitely, yeah. you know, we're riding what, two hours tomorrow? Yeah. You can do three on Sunday? I might do, yeah. You might yeah, do, yeah. right, okay. Both of those are sort of endurance based, right? We can't find a way to put that three hours into one hour. No, right. This is true. Yeah, it, and you do gain something from a three-hour ride. I definitely feel it, and well, the science shows it that you know a three-hour ride gives you something completely different to somebody sitting and doing the same duration for an hour or really hammering one hour. They're completely different. You think a one-hour time trial versus a three-hour base session, you get tired for different reasons, but they're both effective for what they particularly are, right? But you can't really change a session to duplicate that session in a different way. They're so specific. And I think with, with, um, with Dave maybe having heard that one and a half hour thing, he's kind of always having to find a one and a half hour gap or get a session to fit into one and a half hours that can actually be done in 45 minutes. I mean, if he's doing, I don't know, in 45 minutes, he might run um, eight, four, you know, let's say he runs um, uh roughly, you know, six miles or five miles or something like that. Well, okay, that's a base session. That's, you know, five or six miles. Okay, that's something like, you know, 40-ish percent of race distance. It's another run. It'll squeeze into 45 minutes. It'll be a good, you know, good session to do. You're not hammering it. It's a base session. Another point of time, you might have three hours and you're going to do long ride. Perfect, because that's the perfect amount of time to do it. Mm. So, you know, there is no sweet spot. And the fact that, it's very rare, actually, that the data such as this uh, female cross-country skier is presented so detailed that they even break down what percentage of time was spent in how long, i.e., you know, 60% of them were over uh, 90 minutes and so forth. You do realise that there's plenty of shorter sessions. If you're tired, it's better to do a short technical roller session go to the pool and just do very good technique but don't hammer yourself those still work and like you were saying and i'm a very firm believer sometimes um any training is a useful way of using your time than thinking oh i've got enough time to do a decent session i won't do it 
if you can do something and it's constructive and it doesn't have to be oh less is more let's smash it let's really hammer it sometimes oh do you know what? i'm i'm going to focus on really good technique on my turbo trainer and i'm just going to concentrate on relaxing and i've got a mirror and i'm going to really think about tucking in and and relaxing and uh, i'm not going to go hard but i'm just going to try and you know get my body to mold itself better that's better than binning that session entirely well, yeah, you know? like you said, and, and again, is, are you just stretching an hour and a half, um, an hour and a half training session when you can get that to fit into an hour? Mm. You know, you 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 can do it to a certain degree, but not if it's a quality session. I, I really. There's so, a follow up to this. Go on. How about two shortened Z1 sessions per day, one hour in the morning and one hour in the evening? I'm sorry for all the questions. If it's too much for one podcast, no, that's all right. Um, so. I mean, two shortened sessions, I wouldn't say one hour twice a day. That's two hours a day. If you're doing that six, seven hours, you're at 12, 14 hours a week. So that's not short sessions. Um, I think even, th you know, there's plenty of people that do 30 minutes, 40 minutes sessions because it just fits. That's all they want to put in on that particular sport for that particular day. They don't want to think every time they get to the pool, oh, I better do an hour. What if your stroke is falling apart at 40 minutes? You're not going to stay and say, I've got to do an hour. At the same time, if you split sessions, sometimes that's better because it's easier to find two one hours, you know, um, before you go to work and when you get back in the evening, you've got, a, you know, an hour's window between, um, I don't know, kids and chores and going back out and doing something else. You've got one hour. Brilliant. I, I think everyone's situation is such that they'd love it to, you know, every week is always the same. They can fit it in. But it'd be damn boring if you knew and I knew that every Wednesday, we're going to be training at 6.30 in the evening for one hour. It's like, oh, blimey. I, I would totally lose the, the love of training. Sometimes the randomness of, oh, I'm working that evening. I'll get it done in the morning, you know? And therefore, the brain has a different stimulation. And, and again, if you've got more than one sport, so you're doing three sports for, you know, for, for the triathlon Ironman, then I think a split session works quite well because you can do mm. an hour of swimming you know which sometimes for some people like you said if your stroke starts to fall apart at 45 minutes then you know an hour is quite a a tough session but then you could do an hour's bike or an hour's run you know the following evening mm. um i mean you wouldn't go an hour in the pool and then an hour in the pool in the evening as well would you hour in the pool in the some people double up swimming yeah. they do have a swim day um because of the proximity to the pool, that day they're near the pool and they don't mind doing two sessions. And it is, it's a different, you know, it's, it's what, a different you've got way. Put wet kit back on. Well, if you jump under oh, the shower no. before you start, you no. just make it, you put it on, it might be Oof. a bit wet and cold. You quickly jump under the shower and it makes it warm again. Oh, that's, so not, that's not fun. Or you stick it as you walk in, you stick it under the shower, make it warm and then put it on. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> um, I think. I think he's had some really good questions, but he does say something to us, which is, which is very nice, but he, d he did say that, um, feel free to, to split them up over a number of different episodes. I'll be following them anyway. The more I listen to you guys, the more questions I have. That's a compliment, by the way. Nothing about you giving confusing information. Thanks a lot, guys. You are legends. Take care, Dave Barry. Um, I think he's got some good points. And I think also his questions are, are quite normal that I get people asking me on a regular basis. So I don't think they're, you know, should I have my tires at 21 millimeters or 22? Or should I, you know, should I, um, uh, I don't know, should I have 60 grams or 55? I mean, we're, we're talking here some quite big 
big training and racing big questions. Big training and racing yeah. kind of like conundrums, which actually every week for every person is how do I balance the coming week? Sometimes you know what's coming. You can go, oh, crikey, I've got those three days. I might not do anything for three days. Okay, well, don't stress it. Because if it isn't happening and it really isn't happening, don't try and put your running kit on at, you know, half past 11 at night just to get a run done when you're already exhausted and you've got to be up at five o'clock in the morning. I know we can sometimes stretch parameters and that's sometimes the slightly, um, slightly weird part of endurance athletes. Sometimes it's quite nice to um, think, I've just got to get up really early i don't want to do that it's a uh, it's a normal work day but if i don't get it nothing will happen that day and you feel better for doing the session which is what we're getting a lot of benefits from this training is we get a huge psychological benefit from actually doing something that we're under control of that is good fun that if you do it right will give you health benefits if you do it if you do it wrong, it won't. So, you know, we've got to balance this up nicely. But it sounds like, Dave, you're actually, you know, you're asking yourself the right questions. You are uh, learning, which hopefully we're, we're producing uh, some positive input into how people self-coach. And um, come back to us when the things that we've answered sort of change or slightly tweak what you're already doing, just to see whether you've got any subsequent questions. But was good. great, great set of questions. Yeah, yeah. And we've got another long one. This is the, the third and final uh, question. It's from James Grandfield. And he's into triathlon. His mobile is... No, we won't. Don't worry about that. Don't <laughs> worry about that. So, uh, morning, Joe and Crocker. Obviously, so he's even got a time point there. I like morning. that. I like um, that. Long-time listener, first-time question. I like that. I like what he's done there. That's really, really slick. Thanks for your continued production of a brilliant and informative podcast. Have you been have you been paying people off for this, by the way? God, I tell you what, I've spent some money this have month. Have spent some money this month? <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. Yes, you really have. This next bit. It's been great to listen to Crocker's knowledge grow over the years. Yes! I knew it would come That's good. that reading stuff, isn't it? Oh, no. Yeah? It's frightening. I can read in everything. General info specific to me. Sounds like, it sounds like he's, he's putting himself out into the market here. 28, well-trained, swimming background for 20 years. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes. No, um, starting fifth year of triathlon, uh, training for an April marathon, Ironman Wales and general health. Current stats, 400 metres, 4.45. That's not hanging around. Uh, FTP, 4.2 watts per kilo. So for those that don't necessarily uh, use watts or know about watts, so that means his... Uh, threshold uh, sustained effort, assuming that it's uh, taken from a, um, it probably won't be taken necessarily from a, a one hour uh, effort, it's probably taken from a 20 minute effort, it means per kilogram of his body weight there's 4.2 watts, so if he was conveniently uh, 70 kilos, then it would be 70 by 4.2, which would be about 290 watts, yeah, about 290 watts for for you know, it's, it's solid, uh, certainly good swimming stats. Um, certainly good swimming stats because he says current stats are 400 metres minus 4 minutes 45. So that's even better. It's gone, gone back in time. Uh, half, half marathon, 1 hour 26. Still can't move on land as nice as in the pool. Yeah, so <laughs> we have got a swimmer that uh, is uh, evolving up from the water onto land, I think, is the way to look at it. Uh, not sure if any of that is relevant, but might add uh, detail to the question. Since welcoming a child to my family two years ago, I've become increasingly a time-crunched athlete. I've embraced the zone two 
work since winter 2016 and to I guess I'm hoping he means zone one but anyway the zone two uh, work since winter 2016 and despite my lack of training hours this seems to be helping I'm currently training seven to twelve hours per week consisting of one swim two turbos and four or five runs uh, after the marathon this will become one swim three runs and three turbos stroke rides um, so just a little I'll jump out of his question now and say so if you see this guy can swim at 4.45, he doesn't need to go to the pool six days a week. He could get a great ego from swimming up and down and smashing loads of people in the lane next to him, but he doesn't. He does what he needs to do, which is he just swims enough to keep his um, his strength already a strength. And what he doesn't do is try and build the 4.45, you know, to a, a, a 4, you know, I don't know, a 4.34 and spend just an inordinate amount of time and effort trying to get 11 seconds off a of 400 he's already ahead of most people in the water anyway and instead acknowledges his run anyway jump back into the question my question during the majority of my training early morning i sometimes find myself at a loose end uh, when wife and child go to bed would there be any benefit to 45 minutes zone two zwift ride to bulk up the hours uh, burn some calories and boost the daily TSS training stress uh, training stress score or would a feet up and feed approach uh, do me better for the long term thanks again for the great work looking forward to popping over for a bio racer fit when the new bike arrives James yes. oh brilliant well contact me when that happens uh, James I've just had a guy this morning uh, who's uh, we worked out at the end, his body position changes if you take it at, at 30 miles an hour, because that's what everyone quotes for, you know, frames and tyres and helmets. At 30 miles an hour, the, which he isn't doing his half Ironmans at that speed, but let's use a benchmark, it was 41 watts improvement. Thing. So it works. It's worth doing. Uh, da -da -da -da. So I'm guessing his terminology, because he's talking TSS, He's, he's a Garmin person, training stress score, okay? Yeah, Garmin also which I think it, when he's talking zone two, he's meaning middle of zone one, what we call zone one, which is less than 80%. He's saying zone two, which is kind of middle of the road zone one training, yeah? Um, and in which case, I mean, sometimes, you know, during the majority of my training early morning, I sometimes find myself at a loose end when wife and child go to bed. That must be in the evening then, so he's on about... Yeah. yeah, so he does his training in the morning and he's wanting the evening session. I mean, sometimes the benefit of an evening session, uh, certainly low impact spinning, is it can increase the number of times that your legs go around in circles. You've got a solid FTP and you're not just going to make the FTP go up and up and up and up and up. Your maximum uh, sort of um, ability... Uh, let's say you're a swimmer. I'm going to guess. You don't tell me, but I'm going to guess you're a swimmer and you're 75 kilos. Okay. If that's the case, then his threshold is somewhere around uh, 315 watts. Okay, uh, which is pretty quick, um, but it's disproportionately quicker than his 126 half marathon. Okay, and I'm assuming the half marathon is in a standalone half marathon as opposed to um, a half Ironman. That would predict a maximum of about 420 watts, so a fairly solid top-end um, ramp test. So it could still sit at 50% power, you know, 210 watts, sit there, be in zone one, 
still be churning out, you know, for an hour, that would still churn out 800 calories an hour. It wouldn't be excessively hard. As a swimmer, you probably still need to teach your legs to go around in circles. You can do 4.2 watts at threshold, but, and Zwift won't help you necessarily ride a bike better. So uh, yes, Zwift would help because it gets your legs going around in circles. And you've clearly got the engine because nobody can have a pretty low uh, threshold and yet be able to swim 445. You've got to have a pretty good engine. You might have great mechanics, but you've also got to have a, a quite a huge amount of oxygen delivery to swim that fast. Therefore, he's probably got this 420 watt um, peak power, okay? And I'm gonna be in the ballpark, I might not be necessarily bang on. So the engine is quite big, and I know I use this term engine, but that's, that's the way I, I look at it. But the running speed, though it's solid, would probably be helped by improving his economy on the bike. And the Zwift would help, but I do think, get to eBay and find yourself a, a set of rollers or find somebody nearby that's got some that doesn't use them anymore. And actually also get used to riding 3D. So you actually get used to balance and you get used to taking what might be, I'm gonna say might just be a bit of brute strength riding and actually you can turn it into more finesse and you can ride, you know, you might have that, um, uh, say 300 watts at, at threshold and we'll find out during the Bioracer Fit exactly how efficient you are in terms of aerodynamically, but it's more important also that as a swimmer, your legs haven't just gone around in circles. So you really need to catch up with that cycling skill. And every time you're on Zwift, every time you can jump on rollers, it might be 30 minutes, it might be 60 minutes, you're gonna catch up to people that might already have a lot more miles. And I would say there are a lot of traffics that have got great bikes and they can, you know, they can ride a bike, but they're not a cyclist. And what you need to do is learn to be really in sync with your bike. And you can't do that purely on the turbo. Uh, you certainly can't do it when it's about, you know, two, potentially three per week turbos. You can be okay, but I think you want to see that three-dimensional riding would help. So actually, Zwift is good, but rollers would add something that Zwift cannot do. And also, it can be quite time efficient. You can do 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and you're so concentrating, you might have a low heart rate. It might feel relatively low in terms of power output you put out, but I tell you what, your nervous system and your concentration is gonna be off the Richter scale. I, su I suppose also the other the other issue that, that James could have is he does maybe his turbo training, and, and I might be wrong, but the turbo trainer might have a power meter. So then also, you know, you can you can have that advantage of being able to train to power on on a bike. But if you haven't got it on the bike when you go outside, then, you know, you are at the mercy of of heart rate, etc., which is fine. But do you find, Joe, that, you know, like James, sometimes you have clients that fill time when they have spare time. They fill it with with workouts that they plan to do. Or do you find that they fill it with workouts that aren't necessary? Oh, it can be, yeah. I mean, I, that's why I always work off a menu of, right, these are the key sessions because there are certain things you need to do, a bit like, quite rightly, early on in the podcast, you know, this sort of 150% rule. Yeah, everyone within what they're doing has got to do certain sessions that are getting over and beyond race distance. You can't do every session between 45 and 60 minutes 
and expect to compete over you know middle and longer distances because mm. you just haven't got the mileage you might get five sessions and build up five hours a week but that's not the same as somebody goes out and in one of their sessions they're doing a three-hour session say on the bike they might be doing you know a 90-minute run there's certain things that you've got to be able to do to build up that total endurance capacity and what you don't want is people just sort of you know almost just training to fill in time when they're not necessarily training to do um the uh do um do correct training you know the loose cannon that says oh i felt really good so i went and did a walk bike or oh crikey i'm you know i i just i just so needed to do a run i just went off and i did some intervals you've got to then say with those sessions where are they coming out of the weekly plan it cannot be that it's loose cannon type training and he's got i think a good mixture he's certainly not overtraining to his strength the additional evening sessions would help because he's doing more of the skill that is a lot of people's weakness he's not got a weak engine but i wonder whether he's really into um you know his fifth year triathlon he might be solid on the bike but zwift is good but i'd always say that can keep you entertained, but so too can rollers. Learn how to really ride, not straight away on aero bars. I'm not suggesting that's everyone's goal, but to just have another way, because it's indoors, so it might be a session after a while, you just get bored. What do you do? You either hammer it or you get bored and go, I couldn't be bothered to do it. If you've got the option of, I won't do Zwift, I'll do rollers, or actually, I've done a turbo last night. Do you know what? I've got the chance to train tonight. I'm not going to train. I'll do, you know, get a warm bath, do some flexibility, you know, or, you know, di- you know, give give your partner the uh, evening off um, and you do more stuff. But I don't think you always look for training sessions to fill in gaps yes. yeah. because it's like you don't need, you know, you've got a good engine. You don't need to train too many times. The worst thing you can do for anyone really is over polish what is their particular abilities? You're not going to get much better than somebody just because you do loads of it. At a certain point, it can start almost like it's not adding training, it's taking away the time to recover. And when you've got um, a sort of young child, you also can go through phases where there is a greater time of, of loss of sleep or there's certain factors that mean that you don't recover as well or there's different stresses and strains and if you're training up to a limit and you get used to being able to do x hours per week that almost becomes a habit people think they need to keep going mm. instead of going no you've banked so many hours before you can drop that by 30 percent, and you're still you're still going to be the person that can produce you know four um four watts per kilo you're still going to have the mechanics to swim 445. That's not an accident. That's because you've, um, you know, you've uh, been swimming for 20 years. But you do have to, I think, be very careful that... Um, I think I've been lucky that I've never really want... Uh, I, I obsess about my job, but I don't obsess about doing lots of training. Because it would just bore the living daylights out of me. You know, it's one of those things where some people, the moment you gave them another hour, they do another hour of training. And it's like, sometimes that can be really, it can almost be a nervous reaction to trying to push things along as opposed to, hold on, stop. Is that actually going to be good? Should you not be 
you know, building some brownie points elsewhere, should you actually be using that time to plan each week to go and see a physio because you've got this niggle that's not going to go away by training for another hour, but does need you to attend to it. And I think to under train five, 10% is better than to always see every hour that pops up is another possibility to train. Because at a certain point, whatever you do, you've got further to drop off and to start losing goodwill around you to start losing perhaps other things you should be seeing to develop. I know sport can help people to develop something that they've got under their control, but there's other things in life that you can quite easily be developing in parallel and that it doesn't have to be that people always push along their training, but other things, other hobbies, other people just drop by the wayside because um, I don't think it's worth it. And I think if you've got a good engine and you polish it well and you don't go over the, you know, don't go OTT, with five years into triathlon, you, you're well into it. There's, you know, you're thinking about things like FTP and, and optimization and, and uh, time uh, crunch, things like Zwift. So you, you, are, you are thinking about stuff, but sometimes one of the easiest ways that people think about trying to get a bit better is to add an extra hour here and an hour there. It, yeah. And then you start looking and they're doing 12 hours of like, I thought about riding to and from work, you know, about three days a week. It's like, you're already doing that amount. If you do that and what, then train at lunchtime, then do that. It's like, you're going to be training so damn much that also if something does happen, like a cough, like additional projects, like um, suddenly your, your child's ill or you have to cover somebody, you then have to massively stress about the fact you're not doing the big hours you were. So I think it, it's, always, and it's, a, it's a warning to everybody, don't go on this slippery slope because I find the hardest weeks for people that don't get this are to even talk to them about adaptation weeks where you back right off yeah. and you're going to do, <laughs> you know, 40% less than normal and not, not your, you know, oh, yeah, my biggest is 16. So if I take 40% off, then, oh, that's, that's going to drop it down. I can still do 10 hours. No, what's your average you've done? Oh, it's about 12. Right, then you take 40% off of that which means now you're taking five hours after of that, which puts you down to about seven. <gasps> Only seven hours. I thought I was going to be doing 10 or 11. No, that's what you're going to do because it's not, you're not trying to train, you're trying to adapt. And if you're not adapting in your HRV or your mood or how you feel or how your knee injury is going, if that isn't getting better, then you might not even do seven. You might do four hours and go, I feel so good. I'm up for the next three weeks training. And that's why I think... Um, plenty of people, James not specifically, but definitely plenty of people out there need to just sometimes stop and look at the amount they're doing and go, is it starting to rule what I do? Is it starting to stop me going to the cinema and making me only eat, you know, only, you know, dust. rice and dust <laughs> and, um, and gels? Yeah. Um, or am I balanced? Have I got this right? And it's part of me, but it's not going to define me. Because I can see there's this really well-greased, this greased with ceramic um, uh, sort of uh, lube, I think. Because <laughs> when people get on it, they're like, and they go down this slippery slope very viciously into a point where you look at it and think that they're almost trying to train like a semi-pro. Clearly they're not pro because they haven't got all day to train, but they're trying to squeeze every possible opportunity. And you flip on its head and see what the pros do. You know, they get up and they train and they recover and they do that, but they don't have a job that is their job. And when other people have got their commitments and their, you know, 
um, well, you've got job, family and life, friends family, and the yeah. other things you want to do. You can't go, oh, I could use that out. Yeah, but weren't you going to be going uh, out with your you know, buddies to, to go somewhere and uh, have a, a bit of a knees up for a night? Yeah, but I thought I'd do another training session on the, on the, uh, you know, on, on the rowing machine or whatever. And, and I think it can be slippery slope because you directly see, last week I did 10 weeks. Sorry, last week I did 10 hours. This week, look, I've made it 12. So, of course, it's a plus two. It must be better. And people, it's like when people lift up a bike and go, oh, that feels light, that feels heavy. They don't know how that bike works in terms of bearings, gears, aerodynamics, stability. But they pick it up and go, oh, that's light, that's good. And it might not be. And it's the same with hours. 12 is much better than 10. Well, however they look at it, 12 is better than yeah. 10. 12 could be the silliest thing you've done because you started with a really sore throat. You got to the end of that 12-hour week and you're absolutely hanging. And you'll need more than seven days recuperation to get over that, at which point that 12 was not what you wanted to do. So I think you've got to watch hours are kept in control, James. And that's the thing. That, 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 that's the only thing that, that kind of fills me with a bit of fear. Um, and I think you've kind of you've backed that up, is if you're then trying to fill gaps by going, oh, I might do this because I've got mm. a bit of time, or I might do that a bit of time. Have you done your training for the week or have you got it mapped out? Yeah, mm. just stick to that for the time being. And like James says, don't be afraid to put your feet up. Mm. You know, just, you know, you could even do anything like your race entry, your admin, your, your brownie point stuff. Mm. Um, and especially if you've got a, a young, you know, a young child um, in back into your, uh, into your life, then, mm. you know. As we would say as fathers, you're, you're going to miss it if you do too much training. And you would, you would just, you would, you would, you know, you can't be ever every moment. That's the worst way to go. But at the same time, if every opportunity you're somewhere else, you'll, you'll miss too many things. You can still train and, and have kids and it changes how you see things, but you don't, you don't want to sort of be just training every opportunity because I think kids and maybe how people, other people get into, into charity projects or they just get into a completely different career path or they get into some, I don't know, they might, they might really start to, they might find religion they might um enjoy going to bingo whatever it is there's lots of different ways that you can do stuff in life and training is not the be all and end all and i know we're doing a podcast about triathlon <laughs> but, but it still is you know it's a part of um it's a part of what we do and we enjoy training and we enjoy doing some competitions but it's a part of what we do and I don't think we'd want to totally define it. And we all know people that do define themselves by it. But the best people that define themselves by it are definitely the, you know, the professionals. And they do, because I know how they look at amateur athletes and they go, blimey, I couldn't do what some of them do. But they're, they're, what they're acknowledging is not the person that gets it right. They're looking at the people that are absolutely, no, they're getting up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning to do a three hour session then to get on the train to go to work to come back da, da, da. and they go i couldn't do that for very long and you're like no and they couldn't either because it all crashed after you know 18 months everything went belly up including many of the parts of their life that they really should have been thinking about yeah yeah um so anyway let's get off our soapbox yeah which, um, is, which is the right way to ask the question i yeah, think is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. instead of kind of going this is what i've been doing when the, you know my wife and, and, and my little one have gone to bed you know i've been filling it with more mm. training rather mm. than going then asking the question should i yeah. do it? you know sometimes if you've mapped out your week and you know my my kind of training days now have changed because of because of being a dad you know and and wednesdays and thursdays are out because you know that's my 
my time with my little and my wife's time on, you know, going out and doing the stuff yeah. that she likes yeah. to do, yeah, yeah, including yeah, kind of, you know, Saturdays and Sundays. So I found that getting up early in the morning... You know, so Joe and I meet at like half past five. Well, it's nice. It's more more closer to six to do two hours on a Saturday or just under two hours. Normally sleep. And then on a Sunday, if we're if we're able to do a longer ride, if we're able to, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, if we had enough coffee, we could do three hours. And you know, it's it's something that you do to adjust to be able to fit in. But it's not. If I can't do it three hours, I don't turn around and go. Oh no! I, you know, I'll do two hours with you, but then I'll do an hour at night when when the when the Litton's gone to bed. I just go, no, I can do two hours, yeah, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you don't so. you don't look to always make up for what you've yes. missed because sometimes there are sessions that you know even people with the best laid plans they won't get it done, and therefore they kind of almost have to acknowledge that some sessions won't get done and some sessions won't be perfect. And but it it's a good it's a good question stress. though. Yeah, it also turns into stress then when you yeah. can't do it. You stress yeah. yourself thinking, oh, I should be able to do that, mm. and you can't. But it's, just... it's it's a good question also because he's sort of vocalising what lots of people have to yes, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. but which they won't question. They'll sort of say, yeah, but it's training. It's like, yeah, but that's a, you know, we could argue that is quite a self or, uh, selfish, self-centred thing to do. You're not doing it and it's going to massively affect, you know, everybody around you in terms of their, their wealth and happiness. We do get benefits psychologically and physiologically from training, but sometimes people do prioritise training as though it is... A life or death situation and not sort of saying, oh, I've got this leisure activity. I would like to put another hour of it into my day. Well, do you need to? Don't sort of think, oh, yeah, but I've entered X Ironman and I need that hour. Well, you know, unless somebody's a pro, which they've got to put those hours in or they will soon not be a pro. There are people that do heighten it on their list of priorities and it always comes in number one and that's where they struggle with adaptation weeks because i always say you know get your diy paintbrush out um get ready to you know to put your feet up because you're not going to put triathlon time trialing ultra running whatever it is that week you're not going to put that at the top of the list and some people struggle like mad because they're like yeah but 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 it's like no you're just not going to put it at the top of the list because it isn't that important and the moment you can see that Bingo. You get much better, I think, life, work, training balance. Because it is those three, because they do literally see, you know, work and life, and then there's this other thing, training. And people that don't, I mean, we're not listened to, I'm sure, by people that don't do activities, but people that don't do regular training and do endurance sports, you know, they they fill their time up with other things, but they do look at the bizarreness of what we do and we could look at the bizarreness of sometimes what other people do but they do look at it and sort of go blimey you know you spend a lot of time doing that and some people almost you know are a bit they're almost a bit like oh yeah but what's wrong with doing all those hours and sometimes it is well they got a point it is too many hours yeah yeah and it is something you need to it's not more is better you don't get um you know you don't get um necessarily proportional gains and everybody is happier and everybody around you is proportionally better off because you don't do six you've gone to 10 and then you think 14 and 16 will be better and there's plenty of people that have to come right off of that say i'm not well i've just done a five okay you've done five you feel good right let's nudge it on and when people say things like you know what you've put you've put it all in context it's much more balanced i'm seeing i'm seeing my kids or i'm seeing my partner i'm seeing my mates better or not better but more often you think yeah that's what it's all about because Training can only do so much, 
okay? And we have to be very clear about that. Just because you think you're gonna train harder, well, you can't, because there's this 80-20 rule. So that's where first tripping point. Secondly, we could give everybody the same amount of training and the very best people would still be the very best. They wouldn't need, um, you know, 25 hours to be Olympic champion. If everyone did six hours, they would still be Olympic champion, but they wouldn't be quite as quick. Yeah. Okay. And we might be exactly the same, but the, um, the engine is polished to an extent that if you start off with a V8 and you only give it six hours training, it still becomes a very highly tuned V8. If you've got, uh, you know, a, uh, a one cylinder, two stroke lawnmower engine, you're not going to get anything more out of that by saying, I'm not going to do six. I'm going to try and beat, you know, um, these elites that are now fixed. Imagine like with Formula One where they're restricted to the amount of tunnel time they can use and they're only allowed so many hours of, of aerodynamic. Imagine if they took endurance athletes and said, you're only allowed to do, you know, eight hours a week. Um, if they did eight hours and you and me did eight hours and listeners did eight hours and uh, even some people that had never done training before did eight hours, we'd still come out with the same outcome, yeah. you know? And, and therefore it isn't a proportional thing. They wouldn't be as quick, but on eight hours they would be blinking quick. I mean, they just wouldn't have the capacity to do some of the amazing feats they do. And I think when you see that in the context of the bigger picture of trying to get your hours for a week, there's a point at which you think, if I do any more hours, it's actually not gonna add anything in, but it's gonna start making it feel like a job. And it's going to start taking away things that I really wanted to do to sit down and watch that film or to actually, you know, uh, finally, you know, get the uh, get the garage or the shed or the garden or see my mate or whatever. All those things don't happen when you take that other hour. And when you do have an hour and you go, I'm going to be really productive with that and it's going to have nothing to do with endurance sport whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually quite good. Yeah. You know, yeah. when people say, yeah, I just I just went to the movies and watched, you know, this uh, this film. Was it good? Yeah, great. Brilliant. Did you like it? Yeah, it's really good. Great. You know, that's the way to get the balance right. Good questions. Just brilliant. brilliant questions this month, everybody. Thank you so much for it because it's really, it's really nice to have things that... Um, don't touch on subjects that we get like tires like tires <laughs> that we get hung drawn a quartered about um and there are some things i want to bring up next time about some some recent findings and things and i've got to check with the people that have given me this information that i can share the information but it's just a, a few little things that are and i've shared a couple of them with you yeah, yeah. um in brief but to just sort of say look the you know these things help us or these things confirm or these things are, you know, done by, you know, particular X, Ys or Z. We call them ditties. We call them ditties, yeah. Ditties, yeah. little ditties. Um, so I think we've, we've just had a just great podcast by the fact we've just been given great questions. So thank you very much. And do get your questions in. People do, you know, tweet them and send them via the contact page. Um, they might even... Uh, sometimes even write a letter, but I can't remember the last time somebody's ever somebody's ever <laughs> written a anybody letter. Ever wrote ever a letter? Wrote a letter. Yeah. Dear Joe, I listen to your podcast because it's kind of like if they listen to a podcast, they're digital. If they're digital, they just um, don't do it. So yes, please do contact us either uh, uh, via our Twitter, via our Facebook, via the Instagram. Just search SouthfolkRacing.co.uk or search CoachDoBeer.com. Follow us, by all means, use that to 
pitch uh, pitch questions rather than I want a training program. Can you tell me how to do this, that, and the other? I want it to be you know your specific question, but we can give a response that can help other people because other people it will resonate yeah, with them. You will guarantee that you aren't the first person oh, to yeah, think yeah, of that yeah, question, absolutely. and there'll be absolutely. another hopefully yeah. two, three million people out there thinking. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but there million. will be someone else yeah. out there that has yeah. suffered from. Yeah. The same, maybe the same mistake or not mistake, yeah. the same thing that they want to know about, that they don't want to make that mistake, then you'll guarantee it. And, and no question is, is kind of off limits to a certain degree. Yeah. But, you know, every question that, that we get, we will try and answer um, or, or, or Joe will to the best of his slash. And as for Saturday, I've just got a really interesting um, response about some. Uh, some bike things which uh, we can bring up next time but um, yeah that would be uh, that's quite good when an email pops in think oh that's another little thing no way you're going to be able to carry a tennis racket on your bike (laughs) I don't even know what you mean by that (laughs) there's no way oh right right oh I see I see yeah 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 Uh, so thank you thank you thank you for downloading for listening for continuing to uh, review to put your ratings at iTunes to send us uh, questions it's very nice and it's it's I think it's really nice when people have got something out of it because it might go out and there might be a few hundred thousand people and it just fills in white noise but when we're giving stuff out I I sincerely hope that it does make people get a little bit more out of what they do because we are passionate about these things and we do it as as jobs Uh, not elite athletes we might add but as I mean I influence elite athletes and I've been very happy to get nice feedback and nice uh, things from them as a result. But it's the average punter that is doing this around job and family and career and um, sometimes illness, sometimes, you know, major life events that they want to do these endurance tasks from, you know, doing their first ever 5K or half marathon to doing Ironmans and Enduros and 24-hour, you know, races and ultras and you name it. There are so many people that are into it. And if we hit the nail on the head for somebody and that helps that somebody that helps another somebody, if we can be part of the solution, then we're not part of the problem. So if we can help people become better and not become injured, if we can help them to train smart and not just, you know, treat it as though it's um, endurance warfare. And if we can also um, make it so that they buy things that are based on not just trends but based on real logical logical relevance to them you don't always have to have the most expensive kit and the most amount of you know data grabbers all all over your body for different you know different um kind of metrics so thank you for the people that have said via their questions that we've hit the nail on the head and I hope other people that don't send in questions but are listening get something from this because well, it's it's good to do it and we would like to do it a lot more often but once a month if we get it done right sometimes once every three to four weeks ish is what we'd like to do and uh, keep your questions coming because it's a real pleasure to um, to answer them yeah because you guys listening are the reason why we do what we do and we enjoy what we do um, and you are also the reason that we try and get as much information as we can it mm. makes us better to hopefully give you the, the information to make yourselves um, better as well yeah so thank you once again for listening remember train smart and have fun 